Father in heaven, we come to this moment in our service of worship. Father, we have worshipped in so many ways already this morning, but we've set aside this time that we might read your word and that we might hear from you, Holy Spirit. So, Father, I, I pray that you would not allow a messenger to interfere with your message. But God, you would communicate to us this morning that we would hear what we need to hear from you. That you would add your richest blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. Father, that we might be challenged and convicted. That we might be encouraged. That we might be comforted. All this is possible through the reading and teaching of your holy word. So spirit, would you come? Would you move among us now? We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, take them and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts in the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John back there on the back half of your Bible in the New Testament. Right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Acts. This is a book that records the acts of the apostles as the Holy Spirit carries them along. It probably would be better titled Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's who the primary focus is in all of the book of Acts. So Acts tells us what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. It picks up there in Acts chapter 1. And as Jesus is ascending, he says to his disciples, to those who are looking along, Watching him ascend into the sky, into the clouds, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And the most incredible thing about that verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is the fact that it is the outline for the rest of the book. So this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. And as Dr. Luke, Luke the physician, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, records for us, we're catching the tail end of Paul's missionary journey. This is his third missionary journey, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem. So we're going to pick up Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 17, and I'll read through the end of the chapter for us. So if, if you have your Bible and you've turned there in sacred scripture, or if you're looking on your phone or your iPad, or if you're following along on the screens, however you might be accessing the word of the Lord, if you're physically able would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at Acts chapter 20, I'll read verses 17 through 38. When I've completed reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with the words, thanks be to God. Let's look together. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, 
I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the, God, the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of all the, of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage and just in the immediate context, I always love to look in the context. And especially today because this is one of my all-time favorite stories in all the Bible. A man named Eutychus. Now, if ever there was a story that should encourage a preacher, it is Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. Now, we didn't read that, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. But Paul is taking an offering back to Jerusalem, to all those who are suffering in Jerusalem. And as he's on his way back to Jerusalem, he's stopping at all the churches and all the places where he's planted churches and done ministry. And here he stops. And they go into an upper room, and Paul begins to preach. And it says that Paul continues to preach, and he continues to preach. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, folks, I know there have been plenty of times we've left this sanctuary, and you have not made it to the Mexican restaurant first. And for that, I am sorry. But I've never gone on till midnight. Paul got to preaching. And then old Eutychus was sitting in the window. And like some people out in the congregation on some Sundays, old Eutychus was working real hard to keep them eyes open and keep them focused. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's seen Jesus after the resurrection. He's got the truth of the gospel. It's straight doctrine and straight from the words of the Lord coming out of his mouth. 
And old Eutychus is doing everything he can to stay with Paul. But Scripture says, oh, Eutychus, he, he fell asleep. And he was snoozing. And he was sleeping so hard, he fell out of that window. And then he was sleeping so hard when he hit the ground, falling out of that window, he didn't wake up, y'all. Like, he didn't wake up at all. Like, poor Eutychus was done. He was dead. He was over. That was it for Eutychus. And so Paul has to stop preaching. And it's, it's nice to know there's something that can stop Paul from preaching. You know, like, he's, he's already preached till midnight. I think some of the church members there had to be a little bit grateful Eutychus fell out of the window so they could at least get a break, right? They could get a little bit of a reprieve. And Paul says, hey, man, I ain't done preaching yet. He goes down and he grabs Eutychus by the hand. The Holy Spirit works through Paul. (gasps) Eutychus wakes back up, comes back to life. I just imagine, I hope they called the meeting after that. It doesn't really tell us in Scripture, but you, you can't get better than that. You've raised Eutychus from the dead. Let's wait till tomorrow to finish up the sermon, Paul. Well, then... He continues to travel, and he goes from Miletus, and he's going to pass through Ephesus. But Ephesus is a very special church to Paul. You see, what happens is Paul spends more time in Ephesus than anywhere else that he stops. He spends three whole years planting and ministering in Ephesus. It is one of the churches that is closest to Paul's heart. And Paul knows that God wants him to go to Jerusalem. And he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, all of those who are in charge of the Sanhedrin, all of those who are the religious leaders and the Jews, have been seeking Paul's life for a long time while he's been on these missionary journeys. And the Holy Spirit has given him foresight that when he gets to Jerusalem, they will capture him. They will imprison him. And from that point forward, Paul is never free. Once he gets to Jerusalem, he gets captured. And then we have letters that are written while Paul is in jail and Paul is imprisoned. And if that is looming before you, I I can understand why Paul said, I'm going to call the elders and ask the elders to come out and meet me. Because if I go into the city of Ephesus, if I go stand before that church and see all these people that I love, I'll never be able to say goodbye to them. So I'm going to call the elders to come to me and I'll give the elders a message and then I'll move on. But there's one particular phrase that Paul shares with the Ephesian elders that I want us to focus on this morning. He says in verse 22, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. It's not a question. Guys, there's no way you can talk me out of this. I know that the Lord has sent me to Jerusalem. And so I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul says. And then he says these words, Constrained by the Spirit. Man, I'm just so convicted by those words. And and I just wonder how many of us have felt the constrainment of the Holy Spirit. And, And I would tell you that I know for a fact that there are those in our church who have felt a constrainment from the Holy Spirit. God moving them and forcing them and telling them, this is the ministry that I have for you. And I want you to know that Separate from Paul, all of the Ephesian church thrived even after Paul wasn't there. The Ephesian church is one of the strongest churches. Even in the book of Revelation, right? We read in in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, we read just how highly the Ephesian church is praised. As John begins to write, and seeing this vision, he writes 
letters to the churches that are established churches. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Folks, that passage Paul is there for three years. And those people are constrained by the Spirit to continue ministering even in his absence in such a way that as God is inspiring John to write to the Ephesian church, he knows their toil. He knows their patient endurance. He knows that they cannot bear with those who are evil. He knows that they have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. These things that Paul writes when he writes his letter to the Ephesians not like the letter to the Galatians. It's not like the letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Ephesus has a special place. And just as Paul is constrained by the Holy Spirit to go on to Jerusalem, the church at Ephesus continued to thrive, being constrained by the Holy Spirit to minister in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I would say there's a lot of similarity between Bethany and the church at Ephesus. One of the things that I think is so incredible about this church is that when COVID shut down so many other churches, Bethany was meeting before any of my pastor friends said that their churches were meeting in person, finding ways to be as safe and as cautious as we could be given the information we had at the time, but meeting together in worship. But something happened through COVID. We lost the love that we had at first. And what I have seen over this summer has been what happens in verse 5 going forward. Repent and do the works you did at first. I don't know if you guys are as excited about it as I am, but for the first time in years, starting in September, we're going to have a Wednesday night meal every single night because people felt constrained by the Holy Spirit to step up and do ministry. For the first time since I got here, six and a half years, we have not had the kind of involvement and participation and activity that we had this past Wednesday night. There's a men's Bible study group. There's a women's Bible study group. There's a couple's Bible study group. There's choir. There's an older kids and a younger kids. There's older RAs and older GAs. There's younger RAs. There's younger GAs. There's preschool. There's nursery. It takes 25 volunteers to make Wednesday night happen right now. And we have a plethora of people who, constrained by the Holy Spirit, felt led to do ministry and to return to the ministry we were doing at first. This is the kind of repentance that the letter to the revel the letter in revelation is talking about 
This is what Paul means when he says constrained by the Holy Spirit. Folks, there have been so many times that I've stood up in this pulpit during announcement time or during sermons, and I've said, here's what we need, here's what we need, here's what we need. And until the Holy Spirit moves on this church, and I don't mean the building, I don't mean the facilities, I mean you, the people. When God moves on you, and you feel constrained by the Holy Spirit, and you respond, ministry happens. And you don't need the Apostle Paul to be here. You don't need the Pope to be here. You don't need a specific pastor or leader to be here to do that. God's Holy Spirit works through each of us. Do you know that one of the biggest reasons that the Protestant church separated from the Catholic church was over something called the priesthood of all believers? You see, in the Catholic church in the medieval times, they believed that only the priest could still take your prayers to the Lord, that you needed a priest to absolve you from your sins, that you needed a priest to do so many godly ceremonial things. And as Martin Luther writes the 95 Theses, and he nails it on that door, one of the things he says is that we all, priest or not, have direct access to the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we are told that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple tore from top to bottom, opening up access to the Holy of Holies. So it's not just Paul who can be constrained by the Holy Spirit. It's each and every one of us. We are not just saved from death and hell. We are saved for a life of ministry. We are saved to be committed to one another, to love one another, to do ministry together, to feel how the Holy Spirit is leading us, and to get plugged in and to get involved. Paul has a a lot that he says to the Ephesian elders about what will happen after he's gone. And in no way am I the Apostle Paul. But I do think these are very important words that regardless of who is pastor, it's very important to remember. Pay careful attention to yourselves in verse 28. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure, there will be fierce wolves that come in among you. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking Twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Folks, we have to pay careful attention. We have to pay careful attention to ourselves and to one another. Because it's, it's not just a country club. We're not playing church. This isn't a show that we come to week in and week out so that we can be entertained. This is a body of believers. This is a flock of sheep. And the strength of the sheep are in the flock. The way that the wolves are able 
to attack the flock is when one is a straggler. When fierce wolves come in, we have to bundle together. We have to have strength in our numbers. We have to be careful to look after one another, to admonish one another. To watch out for people speaking things that sound like good godly advice, but don't line up with Scripture. And I think there's a lot of people in church that mean very well. They have every pure intention in their heart. And they say things that sound good and sound godly. But ultimately it draws away disciples after them and pulls them away from Jesus. Folks, we have to remember what verse 28 says. When you look to your left and to your right in this room, when you see this body of believers, when you see this family of faith, as you look around this congregation, you're looking at people that Jesus bought and purchased with his own blood. And you and I have a tendency to look across this room and see all the flaws and all the failures and ascribe no worth to those sitting around us. But I don't care how bad they get on your nerves. I don't care if they're not your friend. I don't care if you can't spend an evening at dinner with them without wanting to pull your hair out. Jesus values their life because he purchased their life with his blood. The same blood that purchased your life. As a church, the way that we come together as a flock, the way that we bundle together for safety, for defense, is that we remember that every lamb that is saved was purchased by the blood of Jesus. I wonder this morning, can you say that that's true for you? Can you say that you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus? Jesus offers this gift of salvation. He died on a cross that you might not have to experience that death. That I might not have to experience that death. But have you accepted this gift? Have you received the redemption that he is offering? This morning, if you have not, I just want to encourage you and beg that you would trust in Christ. That you would believe that he bought you with his blood. That he took the penalty and the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. And that he was raised from the dead so that you and I might have an opportunity to have eternal life by believing in him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you trust in him today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is found in it. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would move among us in these moments. That we, your church, would respond in obedience. That we might be constrained by your Holy Spirit. To follow wherever you would have us to go. To do whatever you would ask of us to do. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond as Jason leads us?
is tenderly calling you home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will you roam farther and farther away? Yeah. 